this is the economic consequence of what I've been doing. Right. And I'll be real, that can be brutal. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Arts. We're back. Yep, it's 2020, and the Hyperallergic Podcast has returned. This episode is about artists and taxes. Wait, I know some of you have the tendency to turn off anything to do with taxes, but come on, this is important. And we've even found an artist and tax specialist who can answer your questions. Well, a lot of them anyway. I'm Harag Vartanyan, the editor-in-chief and co-founder of Hyperallergic, and this is the Art Movement's podcast. Why don't we get started? I'll have her introduce herself. Hi, um, I'm Hannah Cole. I'm an artist. I've been an artist for a long, long time. And I'm also a tax expert. I'm an enrolled agent, which is a license that comes through the IRS. So I'm federally licensed in income tax and do taxes in 50 states. Although, realistically, most of the ones with big cities in them. <laughs> I love that. Well, <laughs> welcome, Hannah. Thanks so much for joining us to talk about something we all... Well, I don't know if love to talk about, but have to talk <laughs> love about. Love to complain about, <laughs> Love maybe. to complain about, exactly. <laughs> Taxes yes. and artists specifically. For sure. So, okay. Now, the thing about taxes I find is they're kind of emotional experiences for some people. Oh my goodness, yes. I feel like a therapist, honestly. Right? Yes. <laughs> so what is that like for you? And how do you prepare yourself? Or how do you tell people to prepare themselves? Because I'm sure some people come to you with like, you know, terrible stories or like feeling really anguished. Oh and my goodness. I've had entire client calls that are just the other person on the line crying. I mean, really, it, it's quite intense, actually. Really? So what is it usually that triggers people? Like, what is it about taxes in general? Do you think just sort of, you know, we're I mean, we're just mm -hmm. ruminating, you yeah. know, but is it anything specific to like artists and their relationship to money? Or I mean, I kind of want to throw out the idea that artists are bad at this stuff. Mm -hmm. I think artists kind of from the ether pick up a story that they should be terrible with this. And unfortunately, when you tell yourself that story over and over, it comes true. That's right. Self-fulfilling <laughs> prophecy. It truly is. Yeah. And I actually really, with my clients, really advocate that they throw the story away because you cannot get better. I can I can tell you tax rules and coach you through as much as you know I'm capable. But if you're saying to yourself constantly, I can't do this, you can't. So That's right. it is actually important that people believe that, you know, nobody's going to love taxes. I'm not going to make you love taxes. <laughs> but That would be a superpower. It would be. It's beyond my capabilities, I'm afraid. <laughs> so, so then how do you talk them off the ledge, so to speak? Well, I mean, I think something that's very helpful is that I am in the trenches, too. I mean, I am an active working artist. So I have, right. like, you know, shows coming up in the next year. And, and I started from a place that was... Not great. <laughs> I've done okay. it. I've okay. done it all wrong. And so I have really learned from the school of hard knocks. And so I mm -hmm. know what the pain feels like. I have been audited myself, you know, before my days of knowing what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been there. So I really do empathize with people. I really do understand. But I, I also think what is important to me is and I, I do a lot of speaking a lot mm -hmm. to arts groups. And one of the things I always say is how grateful I am to the artist community, how filled with love I am for artists, because um, 
I just think it's really easy when you're sitting with an accountant where you're looking at a piece of paper that summarizes your decisions for the past year in economic form. Mm -hmm. It does not give proper credit to all those late nights buying lots of pizza for a bunch of volunteers on a passion project that means so much to you and that is truly doing something amazing out in the world. And I love that we do that. I mean, that's what I that's why we love it. Right. I mean, it only it only seems to quantify certain types of labor. Exactly. You know, and I think it's so hard because, I mean, in a field where there's so much qualitative, Mm -hmm. sometimes people are looking for things to quantify. Like, am I doing all right? You know, and it's. Like, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. sometimes I guess money and taxes or people sort of look at those or those are the times when they confront those ideas. Exactly. That's a really good way to put it. It is a moment where you confront it in a certain light. Like, this is the economic consequence of what I've been doing. Right. And I'll be real. That can be brutal. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Okay, so now let's get started with a couple of like, I mean, I love this idea that it came from your own experience. Mm -hmm. So what was the first rookie mistake you did? Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't want to get myself in too much trouble here. But, um, oh, I mean, just not tracking things properly. I mean, I'll explain the confusion that I had, which is literally confusion every artist still has. As an artist, like most artists, my income streams were incredibly varied and they would change all the time. Like this year I'm adjuncting and so I've got that source of income and then, and I've got some studio sales. We had a little bit of open studio sales, a lot of gallery sales, uh, you know, just like varied and maybe a random commission, you know, like random stuff. Right. And then maybe the adjunct would turn to a, you know, one year employee position, for Mm -hmm. example. So things were kind of, one year I'd get a big grant, next year I wouldn't. My income was jumpy and weird. And so just being confused about how on earth you're supposed to classify that income and what you're supposed to do with it. That's really what got me reading books and researching and going down the rabbit hole on taxes because I just could not figure that out. Okay. So now let's talk about like some basic things that people should do to track that. Because, I mean, you you say track it. And I know even mm-hmm. as somebody who's done it myself, I mean, it's not easy. Yeah. And I'm glad I like defining terms and just getting down to like, what does that actually <laughs> yeah. mean? Yeah. Because it's not always clear to people. Basically, you want to track your income because that's your the law says sure. you must report it. In fact, if you underreport by over 25%, it's a felony. Wow. <laughs> I know. Oh. Um, so this whole, like, it was cash, under the table, right. that stuff. Yeah, felony is a big word, guys. It is a big <laughs> so, word. It is a big word. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. My license actually requires me to say that out loud. So oh, it's wow. Like, yeah, it's, it oh, actually, wow. they, they can push down on me pretty hard. <laughs> um, I take it seriously. As you should. But uh, you also want to track your expenses. And basically, I think people feel like, oh, that's such a pain, receipts. But that's for your benefit. If you want to not track expenses, if you want to not subtract expenses out of your taxable income and basically overpay taxes every year, you're free to do that. The IRS is fine with it. There's nothing that says you can't. Right. I'm advocating <laughs> that you track your expenses. I think it's probably a good so idea. So you can yeah. lower your taxes, please, totally. artists. So I do want you use to. an app? Do you use a program? Do you use something to track? Or do you recommend one for a thing? Because I know there are a lot of different kinds of tools people can use for that. Yeah. Can I give one piece of sure. um, counsel right off the bat? The mm-hmm. one thing I want everyone listening to do is separate your bank accounts. So the first thing to do to make your life better is 
get the business transactions separated from the personal by opening Ooh, an yeah. account for your freelance activity and only get your direct deposits put there, deposit all your money in there, and only make your business expenses out of that account. When you do that, this magical thing happens where everything in that account is a business thing. <laughs> and suddenly you can hook up an automated bank feed to bookkeeping software most most software these days will do an automated feed, and it's almost like magic. I mean, if you've been doing it the old way that I used to, where I used Shoe to boxes. have it all like combined on a single bank statement, I had was with a highlighter, like trying to figure out. Oh, I think that trip to Staples was for art supplies. I can't remember. Right. I think right, a lot of right, us have right. been there, and myself yes. included. <laughs> no, I think that's great advice because I think most. People, I mean, it seems like basic good advice, but I think most people think, oh, no, I don't need that yet. Or, you know, I'm not yeah. making that much money. Yes. Not realizing that exactly. that's not the reason. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I get a lot of, oh, but I'm not making money. Yet. Oh, it's not official yet. I haven't, whatever, done whatever magical thing makes me official. People don't realize that the minute you have just advertised that you're selling paintings, you're official Absolutely. to the IRS. The minute you earn a freelance dollar, you're a business in the eyes of the IRS. So you might as well take advantage of the advantages that are there for you. So what has changed? So now there's been some under Trump. There's mm -hmm. been, um, I hate using that, but uh, we have to. <laughs> um, there have been some changes that impact artists. True. So what are some of the changes that people should look out for when they're preparing their taxes? Sure. So it's not too, they're not too dramatic I got a ton of confused questions a year ago when we were having our first tax season with the new big 2018 tax law changes mm -hmm. about should I incorporate? Should I? Because we all heard that the corporate tax rate dropped. Mm -hmm. So I want to clarify when when they say on a policy level corporate tax rate, what they mean is C corporation, which is a specific type of corporation, public. All the corporations on the stock index, are they're all C corporations. Right. It's typically one with shareholders. Right. You're probably not a C corporation. <laughs> probably true. Probably not. Um, some artists out there might be doing like a, a economic project, right, and you right. could form one. You right, could. Right. We right. can talk. You can call me. So those none of those are going to help you if you incorporate. So the C corporate tax rate dropped very dramatically to twenty one percent. And there's, you know, there's so much stuff. There's sort of what is stated and what people assume and then what's actually true. So I just want to say no corporation was really paying the full corporate tax right. rate beforehand. So when we have this dramatic drop, yes, it is actually a huge deal. But also, even though you look at that rate that it used to be, I think it was 35%. I don't do any C corporate returns, just right. FYI. Right, right, right. But that dramatic drop, even then, right. they weren't really paying that. Most right. corporations are paying quite a bit less. However, what artists, what concerns artists is there was, because of that rate, what Congress did, I mean, rightfully, someone brought up, hey, C corporations are not small businesses, generally right. speaking, except a couple startups. And so what about small businesses? Small businesses truly are the engine and lifeblood of the U.S. economy. Mm -hmm. Most people in this country are employed by small businesses. Hey, we're a small business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am too. Yeah. And so where's the benefit for us? Mm -hmm. And the other kinds of small businesses are all known as what's called pass-through organizations, mm -hmm. which means you don't have a separate corporate tax rate like C-Corps do. We pay taxes. All other small businesses pay tax at somebody's individual tax rate. So you file a corporate return if you're an S-corp or a partnership only, mm -hmm. everybody. 
but that's just a reporting tax document. And actually, then the statement from that you put on your personal income taxes, and you're going to file at your personal income tax rate. So that could be affected by if you're married to a wealthy surgeon, that could be married if you have a million dependents, and you're the only source of income, you could have right. a much lower rate. So your individual rate could vary quite dramatically. So that is what an S-corp or a partnership would do. Okay. Those are part pass-throughs. But the thing that people don't understand is that you already, you earning a freelance dollar, you're a pass-through too. So like you are just reporting, if you haven't formed an S-corporation, if mm -hmm. you're just, you have an adjunct teaching job or mm -hmm. you've made some sales through your gallery mm -hmm. selling artwork, you are basically filing taxes as a freelancer, mm -hmm. and which means you have a small business. You are filing it on a Schedule C on your individual 1040 tax <coughs> form. So what, so what, how are small businesses benefiting, if at all, from these new rules? Yeah, so important to note that it is treated pretty differently. We did not get the same level of benefit that the C-Corps did. Surprise. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> it is a little sad to me that it's like the big multinational and like huge companies that got this big. Yeah. I, I'm not completely against them in every way, but I do think small businesses, since those are actually the sort of boots on the ground in our economy, sure. where yep. who employs employ people, yep. you know, we deserve stuff. They're the people in our communities, right? Exactly. That's the difference. You it know? is, absolutely. It's like I don't feel a connection to Google the multinational <laughs> corporation mm -hmm. in the way that I, my coffee shop I go to every morning. Absolutely. Do you know? And it's absolutely. like, and I actually care about those people. For sure. Do you know? For so sure. So it's like that's a big thing. And they're driving so much more of the economic uh, situation here, you know, yeah, in your neighborhood. Absolutely. So the, And they actually ask me about my day. I know. I know. Love it. It's worth so much. It's worth all of it. They need more tax tax breaks. Let me tell you. So basically, our break was called the qualified business income deduction, mm -hmm. which is twenty percent of the money that you make from that business activity, whether it's your Schedule C or from your S corporate partnership. Twenty percent becomes. A deduction for you now important to understand that sunsets in 2026 mm. sunset is tax yep. word for goes away ends yep um congress could reinstate it but i also before we just go down the route of like tax cuts are always good i just want to say from an economic justice perspective yes i don't think only tax cuts all the time is a really great way to run our country Absolutely i think we're not. seeing what that does my daughters are in public school you know like yeah We've all got skin in this game. <laughs> Absolutely. And I Absolutely. actually really want to just remind us that like, when we use language like tax burden, which I refuse to use because I think it's really important, mm -hmm. it sets up a paradigm in your head that says all taxes are a burden. All taxes are bad and should go away. Good and point. in fact, maybe things more like tax citizenship, community values, Ooh. maybe those would be better ways to be talking about it. I like that. I like that. No, I agree with you because I think once we, I mean, if we're, you know, want to pay less taxes, that, you know, then private philanthropy has to play a bigger role often in these mm -hmm. things. And we know how toxic that can be. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So it's like, you know, I mean, we need a broad public tax base. Absolutely. To enact programs and make change and push for economic equality and all these issues. Oh my goodness, yes. And can I say mm -hmm. the thing that's been truly bothering me about let's economic inequality and tax policy? Yeah, let's hear <laughs> can it. Can I just jump yep, in here? bring it. So there's all this talk with the presidential candidates about a wealth tax mm -hmm. and whether it might be constitutional or not constitutional. And I would like to put a PSA out there. 
We have a great one already. We don't need to reinvent the system. We need to stop screwing up the one we already have, which is called the estate tax. Oh, yes. And they've been trying to remove that forever. So the estate tax, I just want to give a little background, which is that people in the top 0.1% have paid a lot of money to some serious think tanks about how to language around it so that we all think of it as something that might one day affect us. Right, which never they, By does, calling no. it the death tax, can we please never use the word death tax? You are doing what the Koch brothers want you to do when you say death tax. Death happens to all of us. The estate tax only happens to you if you have a private jet and a staff accountant. <laughs> in other words almost no one it it will not affect you basically the most if you fringe have, fringe group in america <laughs> yes if you have to ask me a question about the estate tax by definition you don't have a staff accountant and it won't affect you that's right. that's how i answer people <laughs> that's brilliant i like that i like that that's a good barometer if you're it asking is, yeah if you're Hannah asking about the estate tax then you'll be like wait a minute i don't have a private accountant. Exactly. Maybe this isn't going to impact me. Exactly. So <laughs> what happens, so let me just explain what the estate tax is because literally there is a misinformation campaign out oh, there. Oh no, and it's been going on for decades. For decades. Decades. This has been actually a policy, like you said, of the super wealthy. Mm -hmm. They've been trying to eliminate this forever Absolutely. to ensure generational wealth. Exactly. And I just want to state the reason it exists. It's the idea of accumulating huge piles of generational wealth so that you create an oligarchy mm -hmm. in this country was something we believed as a society shouldn't happen. That's or right. It was fine to, you know, make your money, take advantage of these, you know, a population that was educated with our tax dollars, got to your workplace on roads paid for by our tax dollars. You know, you are benefiting from the tax base That's when right. you employ people and make money at your company in this country. So... You do owe something back, I feel, and so did the legislators of yesteryear. That's right. Who created it. Who, who created in, it. Who wanted to make sure that we didn't have a uh, new royalty. Exactly. You know, it's like, well, what would that mean if, you know, the Zuckerbergs or the Steve Jobs or mm -hmm. the, you know, all these other figures, you know, if four generations down the road, they just had the same amount of money and they sort of created these sort of inequality bubbles. Yeah, class yeah. of people who could just live behind walls and yeah. go around in private jets and never interact with the population and not, you know, oh, and never have to work a day in their life. I see you've been to an art fair. <laughs> 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 yeah, we can make this a little touchy, couldn't we? <laughs> okay, so yeah. now one of the things I've heard from various artists that I think, you know, it really is sort of a question that I don't ever know how to answer, but you'd be the person. Mm -hmm. What triggers someone getting audited? Oh, I love this stuff. I think it's so interesting. So basically, when you fill out your Schedule C or even, you know, on, on other kinds of returns, you're going to put a code called a NIAC code, which says what field you're in. Mm -hmm. And for most people listening, that's going to be the one that says independent writers, artists, and performers. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty broad group, but it's kind of like creative people. So... The IRS, we're in the age of big data. So mm -hmm. they run every single tax return against, they have what's called a diff score. They're basically comparing every line item on that to every other line item on a tax return. And they have these ratios and it's, they don't publicize it obviously because they don't want people like me trying to, to game, game, it, game right, the system. Right. But there are trends and things that you know that they're looking at. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that they do is they'll compare, for example, all of the expenses that you take as business deductions on your Schedule C. 
and certain ones are very juicy. Certain ones get audited all the time. And actually, if you think about it, it's not that mysterious. Meals and travel get audited all the time. Why? Because who doesn't love, I'm not saying I do this, but who hasn't seen it happen where you pull out your business credit card, you have a drink with a friend, you're like, oh, we talked about business, and you put yeah, it on your business card, totally. right? So people will rack up a huge meals expenses, not really a true business expense. So like the government is trying to give you a break on that, but they don't want you to abuse it. So yeah, they're going to audit that line item a lot. And if it's super high, and what I mean when I say super high is like literally they have an algorithm that says this is a normal range for someone with your Got income it. in your zip code. And if yours pokes way up out of that range, you're going to get your return will be flagged. Right. And every audit comes from a flagged return. So not every return that's flagged will be audited, but all the audits come from flags. But then how about the fact that, I mean, I'm sure you have this experience too. Every dinner does end up becoming a business dinner. Mm. You know what I mean? Or like, if <laughs> I mean, if you're in the creative field, you never know. Like these things, it's, it's yes. so fluid. It is so fluid. So and how do you tricky. figure that out? It yeah. is tricky. So what I would say to people is, well, so the IRS for meals in specific, because it's such an abused category, mm -hmm. they have an extra stringent requirement. So for a meal, a receipt is not enough proof for the IRS. They could actually see all your receipts and still throw it out. Mm. You have to also say who you met with and what the business purpose was. Oh. You can keep that on your calendar separate <clears throat> from the receipt, but mm -hmm. be able to show it. Yep. Or you could just jot it on the receipt. So the thing that I want people to get in the habit of and yeah, you may do this a lot. I mean, networking in the art world is real. Yeah, it is real. Um, and, and a huge yeah. portion of what we do. Just set it up in advance and predetermine what the point is. Like, So I'm going to come and have an interview with Hrog here at Hyperallergic. Yeah. We're going to talk about the tax law. We're not having, I'm not taking you out for a meal here, but if we were. What do you were, mean? You're not going to eat the rack of lamb I brought you? <laughs> it looks delicious. <laughs> Can I write this off now, Hannah? Come on. Um, you could have. And the vodka luge? No. <laughs> <laughs> You're really doing it right here. <laughs> we got to do it. Yeah. So, okay. So that's, that's good advice. Just do it in advance. Make sure, put it on your calendar in advance. If you do that, you really have buttoned it up and you're okay. You just don't, basically... You've probably heard this word with James Comey and stuff, contemporaneous. That's yeah. a big word in the IRS. You want it to be done at the, well, actually, for a meal, you actually want it in advance. Preferentially, you want it like, this is an appointment. Gotcha. Um, okay, that's good. Yeah. So those are the two main categories you think people should know about in terms of being travel, audited. Travel and meals yeah. are big. Mileage yeah. is honestly a big one, too, mostly because... There are some categories of things you can rightfully deduct as business expenses where the item, like the car, is being used for both business and personal. Mm -hmm. So what the IRS is very concerned about is that you're not trying to write off 100% of your driving for the year. Got it. They require you to keep a mileage log. And before you all get super intimidated at that, there are apps that make it so easy. It's ridiculous. It's, it's, is there one you'd recommend? I like MileIQ. That's the one I use personally. Okay. There are a whole bunch of other ones. Great. Um, I'm good, agnostic. Good advice. Good advice. Yeah. Okay. So now I wanted to talk about three possible different scenarios. Mm -hmm. Just because I think, you know, as much as, you know, artists are similar, they're also very unique in different parts of their lives. So now mm -hmm. let's say I'm an art student. I just graduated a year ago. Mm -hmm. Just started out. I may have a little studio somewhere starting to make work, showing in group shows. I may sell one work that year, mm -hmm. maybe a couple, who knows? Yeah. But probably my main income is not 
coming from art. Mm -hmm. I might be an artist assistant. I might be teaching. I might be doing a lot of things. Yeah. What should that person know? Okay. That person, well, one thing they should know is there's no point of, quote, becoming official. Like, you're already a business. So knowing the rules now is going to help you because you can get all the deductions you're rightfully entitled to, and I want you to. Got it. So one thing that a person in that position might be concerned with is losses. Mm. Losses are another area of audit with the IRS because a loss creates a tax shelter. Um, If you have expenses in your art practice that exceed your income, Mm -hmm. that's a loss. Mm -hmm. And that loss, you know, if if it's negative $3,000, that 3000 actually gets subtracted off the rest of your taxable income. So that's actually a huge benefit. You're actually yeah. saving tax on $3,000 of your income. And the point of that existing in the tax code is an understanding that it takes some time for a business to get established. And that especially an early year, mm-hmm. year one, is a very likely year of loss. Right. Which intuitively makes sense. You set up a studio, you buy supplies, you maybe hire an assistant, you make a bunch of work, and you don't have a reputation yet. You haven't gotten out there. I mean, it takes a little time. So the loss is okay, but if you have too many of them, yeah. Um, so how many losses? How many losses can you have before that becomes a problem? This is this is such a contentious area. It's a huge issue. It's a yeah. huge issue. So it's interesting. The the problem for all artists is that an abusive tax shelter and abusive loss looks the same on paper as a real honest one. Mm -hmm. And the only way that the IRS has to tell the difference is to audit both of those tax returns and see the documents that support it. So if you document everything, if you keep your receipts, if you basically, if you are showing a profit motive, that's the definition of a business. If you can show a profit motive by grant applications, correspondence you've saved with curators, people in a position to sell your work, the fact that you have a website, the fact that you're getting out there. Also, the fact that you do the not fun stuff, like hiring an accountant, doing bookkeeping. Those aren't things hobbyists do. Right. So those things will help you prove that your practice is a true business as opposed to a hobby where mm-hmm. you're not allowed to take a loss. That's what they're looking for when they gotcha. audit the So loss. that's the differentiation there. That's the difference. They, Profit motive. Yeah, It's got huge. It. Got it. So the IRS has sort of a rule of thumb called the hobby loss rule, which says that if you make a profit in three out of the last five consecutive tax years, then they will presume that you are in business with an intent to make a profit. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't mean you can't be audited. You always can. If you have a pulse and a tax return, you can be audited. Mm -hmm. But what it means is they have to prove the burden of the proof is on the IRS. So they have to prove that you don't have a profit motive if you're under audit. Now, if you fall afoul of the profit loss, uh, the hobby loss rule, all it does, it doesn't mean it's not legitimate. It doesn't mean you don't have a profit motive. This is very misunderstood even by accountants. But all it does is shift the burden of proof. So Mm. So you have to prove it. You have to prove you have a profit motive. So you really want to be saving in your records all that stuff that says, I am pounding the pavement. I am trying to get my work sold. Book records. I would yep. never say that about a client. FYI. Sure, of course. But you know, she's got this juicy six-figure income, but she's spending a lot of money on her art practice, traveling to the Middle East, and like you know, big, yeah, big sure. bills. So, what they want to say is, if you're supporting yourself from a salary elsewhere or just income from elsewhere, and not relying on the income from your art practice, that that somehow makes that practice not profit motivated. 
not Ooh. a real business. Huh. That was why they picked her, and that's what they wanted out of that case. I'm here to tell you I'm very happy about this. She won. Wow. So that argument, I'm sad to say it's still an argument the IRS will use in an audit, and you have to actually cite Kral versus commissioner mm. back to the IRS and say, nope, this isn't valid. So how did she win? Well, <laughs> through eight years of painful, expensive oh, legal are you proceedings. Kidding? She, I just want us all to just tip our hat to her for yes, a minute because she you. went through so much pain to get us this thing that's pretty great. That's that, awesome. Yeah. And they, you know, the judge, we're really lucky that this judge was clearly a person who grew up going to art museums and had some, was conversant enough in the art world to not just feel it was all foreign and throw it out. This person actually recognized some of the realities of being an artist, the judge in the case, which is actually really important. That is rare. And oh my goodness, lucky, <laughs> lucky, rare. lucky. It could have been a different judge. It absolutely, absolutely. The stars aligned. The stars aligned. Okay, so now let's let's go to the second category I, I wanted to, or these, you know, fictional figures I've created. Sure. The second is mid-career artist mm -hmm. might, uh, you know, be selling a little bit, probably still has a studio, has a day job, might be a professor at Hunter or one of these, uh -huh. um, you know, and probably makes more than the artist that's just out of school for one year in terms of their art and probably has more expenses, too. Yeah. And that's the reality. Mm -hmm. And family and that type of thing. What should they know? Okay. I am a mid-career artist. <laughs> Perfect. Well, so you probably do have this thing of the day job and the art practice. Although, you know, I see lots of variations. Some people mm -hmm. are making a living off their art alone. Hats off to you. It's a lot of teaching artists get in some trouble because they have a teaching practice and an art practice that are definitely separate. Mm -hmm. um, but it's easy to lose the profit motive in your arts practice when you have a teaching a demanding teaching job i'm going to give a warning you want to maintain the profit motive that's your whole safety that's safety so that is so it doesn't thing. matter how socialist you are or like you're theoretically not wanting to make money according to the taxes the only benefits accrue to you because you got that profit motive right. yes and i think that's psychologically right. for a lot of us who grew it's up it's hard it is hard it's a hard mix because it's like no this is legally what is the reality Legally, it's not a yes. philosophical debate whether you're like running after money it's yes. like this is just an actual legal term that's like you said saves you from a lot of headache yes and in a field where we really like to pretend it's not all about money and i mean it isn't we're doing it for the love i know that <laughs> i i'm in that boat but i want artists to be paid fairly i want us to value our time i want others to value our time i think that's really important absolutely but it doesn't make you greedy or a terrible person or make a bad nope. comment on your art if you're trying to make a living i just want right. to put that out that's there. that's right exactly it's not sort of widely agreed upon enough in the art world i think i always think the people who don't want to talk about money are people that probably have something to hide <laughs> <laughs> that's my philosophy not yours it's fine okay. 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 <laughs> so what should that person know that they might be doing wrong or that you've seen other people do in, sort of in an uninformed way sure um sometimes that person a lot of times they've had some experiences at that point where their bookkeeping is a little better mm -hmm. but just tracking things everyone can track everything better always of course i'm trying to think of some pitfalls the big one is like teaching artists or people with a very intense job kind of losing focus on the profit on their arts practice that's mm -hmm. one i want to warn you about okay um, so how what, what are the signs of that well just like years and years of not making a sale now i'm going to put some empathy out there i do understand that yeah sure <laughs> it doesn't mean you're not trying no 
but you really do need to make effort. So the other thing is a lot of teaching artists do regularly apply for grants and just applying for a grant is some proof of profit motive. So that that is helpful. Mm. Keep applying for the grants. Got it. That's okay. Good. Any other advice like things like that, straightforward things that people do anyway that they may not keep track of? Well, your website is considered advertising and advertising okay. is one of the sort of good categories on your schedule C. It's it. like hobbyists don't have any need to advertise, right? But a Got business it. does. Absolutely. So it's a sort of area that proves some professionalism. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a good one. And correspondence don't, was the other thing. Corris- well. Oh yeah. Correspondence with anybody in a position to sell your work or ways to make money. So it could also, if you do licensing or that kind of stuff, correspondence with those people, you want to save it. Good advice. Yeah. So now the third fictional person I've created is uh, probably an older artist Uh who maybe has a career at this point. Maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, no one's career is quite what they want it to be. So (laughs) maybe they make that, right? You know, it's, but they probably making some money. Maybe they are surviving off of it. Or maybe that's just, you know, it's just more than half their income, let's Uh say. Hypothetical. They have a studio. They have assistants, hopefully. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're just creating this fictional character. What should they know? This person, so I have a few, I am a bit of a socialist, and I, I do really tend to want to help the people I think need it the most, which is people without as much money, because mm-hmm. my feeling is that basically past a certain income threshold, you can afford good accounting, mm-hmm. whereas I want to serve the, the people who sure. won't get it. So I'm going to just say up front that not yep. a ton of my clients are in this boat, but I do have some. And for some people, even like I have a couple of clients who are sort of a little bit more mid-career-ish, but actually making quite good money. Mm-hmm. What I find with them is sometimes they are so busy. They are hustling so hard that they just have not budgeted the time to track stuff well. So those people can get in serious, serious tax trouble. And I just, I want you to be really careful. If you're making a lot of money, you're going to have a lot of tax obligation for sure. But there's definitely ways to reduce that taxable income. And you want to talk to somebody like me, you want to talk to an accountant and use tax shelters, you want to set up retirement savings, you want to use all those tax sheltered accounts that are there for you so that you're not taxed so highly so that you do the things the government wants you to do, like set aside money for yourself for your own retirement. Yeah, I mean, how often does that actually happen? I mean, talking to people in the creative profession, it's mm-hmm. so rare to hear people talk about retirement. Oh, my goodness. I Well, language is really important, I think. I've, I've already touched on this a couple of times, but I would like to make an agreement with everyone here that we call it FU money. I think that is so much sexier than retirement. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> retirement is distant, and it means right. you're old, and it's all these yucky things, and it seems impossible. And then but, f- you feel like you're in a hospital bed or yes, something. Yeah. But FU money feels good, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> so, like, it makes me think I'm on a beach somewhere. Totally. It makes you feel like you've got options like you don't have to take this from somebody it's true it's true (laughs) it's It's like walk away money yeah so now now those words worlds converge sometimes because some of the times those artists who have some money are hiring younger artists who are artist assistants Mm -hmm. now i've heard a lot of complicated messed up scenarios when it comes to that stuff Uh do you know what i mean in terms of like are artists hired as contractors are they actually employees oh gosh like this all thing happens and it's kind of terrible and confusing and stuff. Oh, yeah. The accountant in me like gets really sweaty over this one um, because misclassifying 
an employee, like misclassifying someone as a contractor who should be rightfully, who you're treating like an employee can get you in so much trouble so fast. You'll go, you'll be bankrupt. So what should people know about that? So one thing to know is that the IRS has an actually, a, a document written in actual English, not like tax jargon, on, on its website about the distinction between a contractor and an employee. And I'm just going to say, if you plan to hire somebody, read that document before you do. Good idea. That is the best thing you can do because you should know that how that worker is classified is not up to you. Like, yes, you have to make that determination, but the ultimate authority rests with the IRS and they can come down on you and they mm -hmm. can reclassify your contractors as employees and they can say you owe back taxes and you owe the, the penalties are so punitive they're meant to drive you out of business. Oh, wow. Because what you're doing effectively and most Artists, you know, established artists, hiring assistants don't do this out of malice. They do it out of a lack of admin skills or knowledge. They don't want to bother with running payroll, which is required when you have an employee. Right. And then on the state level, I don't, I don't want to get into state tax laws, but I will warn you, the state audit is so much worse right. than the federal. Then you're getting into workers' comp and right. disability. And if you get audited by New York State, just, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to come out of it okay. That's Got what it. I'm going to say there. Good, good, good to know. Yeah, good so to know. so be conservative. It, you, what you need to know, the difference between an employee and a contractor is an issue of control. If you're telling that person when to show up, what work to do, you provide the tools, you can direct the way they do that work, maybe you pay them on a periodic basis, that's an employee. I don't care what you're calling them, that's an employee. Got and it. the IRS also doesn't care. Neither does New York State or any state. If a contractor, like a classic example of a contractor is a plumber, mm -hmm. like you call a plumber because you need plumbing services. They tell you when they're showing up, they bring the tools, they do the work. You cannot get under the sink with them and say, oh no, use that wrench, not that one. Right. Like they are, they are in control of the work. And then after they do the work, they bill you, right? That's what a contractor is supposed to look like. Got it. So there are ways to hire people who truly are contractors. You are hiring someone for fabrication and they've got a specialized skill and they have a shop and you know, you can do it in a way that's real and legitimate, hire contractors, but boy, you want to know what the distinction is and you want to be sure you're on the right side of it. Absolutely. Yeah. So now, any last minute advice? We've had, a, I think, a really interesting conversation. I think hopefully will be useful for people. Thank you. But what, what do you think? Anything to yeah, add that, like, you know, any maybe anecdotes or things that, you know, the thing that always surprises me is I think most people have good intentions when it does their taxes. Absolutely. Then they're doing their taxes. Yeah. But then they find they're like, wait a minute. I can't, like, you know, like, I've had uh, scenarios where I've talked to people and they, you know, young, particularly young employees, mm -hmm. you know, in other places where, like, they'll be like, I didn't know I had to save money for taxes. Mm. Oh, man. I mean, that's actually happened. That I've heard is... that and I'm like, what? You didn't know that that's, that's a thing? <laughs> like, I mean. <laughs> that's rough. I know it's rough. All right. Well, I have two, I have two pieces. One for those with a day job that's, like, on a W-2, like you're an mm -hmm. employee. For that, if you're in that position, I highly recommend going to the IRS website and just Google for paycheck checkup. And you can go and check your withholding, your current withholding. Mm -hmm. And you want to make sure the tax withholding tables got weakened under the TCGA, the uh, JA, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2018, mm -hmm. because they wanted people to feel that they had a couple more dollars in every right. paycheck. And they did not care that that meant you were going to get a big surprise tax bill because right. all they needed was for you to get through the November elections that year. Right, that's right. Um, so tax 
withholding tables have weakened, even if you've been at the same job for five years and never made a change, you're having less withheld now than you used to. So, so you may have a little surprise. Yeah. So you, we've been through one tax season. So you, you felt it last tax right. season. You were like, right. wait, I have a bill. I thought I was getting a refund. That right. happened so much. Got it. So go do a t paycheck checkup and you're not done when you do that. When you find the number, you have to file a new W-4 with your employer. That's your action. So do that. Mm -hmm. Change your withholding, make it stronger. Then, then you're getting enough withheld that you're not going to have that tax bill you didn't plan for. Now, the freelancer is in a worse and more difficult position. Always. I'm sorry. Always. I know. You just want to be aware that all the money that you make freelance is subject to self-employment tax. So it's not just your income tax rate, which could be anywhere from 0 to 37%. In addition to that 0 to 37%, you also, and also a state income tax, of course, mm -hmm. you also have 15.3% flat mandatory self-employment tax. Now that is your social safety net. I before Everybody's like, oh, it's so unfair. I don't want to pay that. Oh, it's so much extra. No, it's not. Everybody pays. That's Social Security and Medicare. That's paying for your pool in the system right. is important. And I also want us all to advocate that it gets funded properly and it stays there. Right. That's a whole thing. Important. So now I'm going to bring up one point that, I mean, we had, when I say we, I mean, me and my husband, mm -hmm. we can, when we were trying to buy something uh -huh. and being freelancers mm -hmm. and getting your tax <gasps> situation yes. together oh, man. for buying things. Mm -hmm. What? Any advice on that? Because it is hell. It's beastly. I have. It is terrible. It is the most terrible experience. Like yeah. it was so insane at the time. I was like a, a, a salaried employee. Mm -hmm. My husband it was a freelancer mm -hmm. contractor. He was making more than I was, mm -hmm. but somehow it was my salary that was the one insuring us to get yeah. a loan or all these types of things. Like, what, what do you give advice to people who like who are like freelancers and dealing with that issue? That is really difficult. And if you even have an inkling that you want to buy property, you want to start getting your tax stuff kind of together, by which I mean just be organized mm -hmm. and realize, know what they're going to look for on your loan application because it is hard for a freelancer to get approved. I've had multiple clients who are trying to do it, trying to buy a mm -hmm. house. And I'll tell you, for, for me in particular, like I have a lot of my clients are women and a lot of people of color and those groups are affected even more. Mm. So, you know, they don't, the loan, the statistics about women getting loans and people of color getting loans, they're worse. I'm mm -hmm. sorry to say Absolutely. it's awful. Absolutely. Um, I have a client who is this amazing woman. Actually, she's given me permission so I can name her Tran Vu. She works for public radio in Boston mm -hmm. and she is in this position. And of course she does a lot of community organizing. She's an amazing person. She was trying to, she's got her money is pretty together, but she had a hell of a time trying to buy a house and so she did a whole like radio story and um, like helpful project for other people. And now she's actually teaching personal finance in Boston. So just hats off to artists. That's why I love our community because we do stuff like that. It's amazing, <laughs> but it doesn't make it easier. It doesn't. <laughs> it, it doesn't, doesn't make it, it doesn't, easier. It doesn't. It's so true. there's no magic bullet when it comes to that kind of stuff. There really is not a magic no. bullet. I, I mean, I will say that everybody always wants to pay the least amount of tax possible. And of course, that's, that's fair. That's reasonable. Um, that's why we need fair tax laws so that, you know, you pay about the right amount. Yep. But be careful about just trying to get about having a single-minded focus on getting your tax bill down because mm -hmm. when you want to get a loan that's right you're trying to prove a high income that's high right. income high taxes that's that's, right. that's the equation no one's going to give you a loan if you're like having losses or you're paying very exactly. very little exactly yeah. yes yeah. you do exactly. have to watch that and you have to keep it's it a red in balance. flag <laughs> well 
Thank you, Hannah. This was great. Do you want to plug Thank your you. website and your business so that we can give you a little plug at the end? Oh, thanks. Well, my business is Sunlight Tax. Mm-hmm. I only serve artists and I love artists. So there's lots of resources. I do a lot of writing. I write for Hyperallergic. Yep. Um, I'm hoping to write quite a bit more this year. Great. And yeah, and I offer a money boot camp program, which is like a whole year of education and taxes and just to get it all really tuned up. Great. And you're also an artist. So why don't you tell people yeah. your website? Your oh, artist sure. Website. My artist website is hannacole.net. Great. I admit it needs a little update because we're in tax season, guys. <laughs> Have sympathy for That's me. Right. I'm answering your questions. I'm not updating my own website. But I show here in New York at Slag Gallery Mm -hmm. and in uh, North Carolina at the Tracy Morgan Gallery. Fantastic. um, You can see my work at the North Carolina Museum of Art in March. March Oh, you have a show there. I do, yeah. Nice. I'm a group show. It's a um, survey of contemporary painting in North Carolina. Fantastic. I love that. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Hannah, so much for being here and for helping us uh, guide our thinking about taxes and artists. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. A special thanks to Mark Pritchard of Warp Records for the music to this week's podcast. I'm Harag Vartanian, the editor-in-chief and co-founder of Hyperallergic. Thanks for listening and enjoy your week. <laughs>